0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. At Evernorth Health Services,
1: we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder.
0: Hello everyone. how are you? Happy Sunday. This is Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. This is The Other People Show. It's good to be with you, and I'm excited about today's episode. My guest is Sean Adams, author of a novel called The Thing in the Snow.
1: My editor was like, hey, I really like this, but also like, it's like the, the dream criticism. He was like, let's keep it weirder. You know, let's make it weirder. Let's focus more on like, you know, let's have more going on with the thing in the snow. Let's like keep, let's like kind of unsettle things a little bit. Yeah, like it was definitely more workplace dynamics early on with definitely, some, you know, some weirdness in there, of course, and some mystery about the thing in the snow. But I feel like that was that was a lot of revisions was making it just, you know, like kind of like getting like upping the creepy factor just a bit.
0: Alright, that was Sean Adams, author of the new novel The Thing in the Snow, available from William Morrow. It's the official January pick of the TNB Book Club, the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. The NervousBreakdown.com is my online lit site. It's been around for a long time. It's got a book club. It's associated with this show, basically. That's the way it works. You get a book in the mail once a month, and I interview book club authors on this podcast so you can have a complete experience a holistic literary experience. If you want to sign up for the book club, go to the nervousbreakdown.com. Click on book club in the menu bar. The Thing in the Snow is a book that is hard to classify. It is a workplace comedy, it is a surrealist fable. It's a psychological thriller, it is a study in human need and weakness and ambition. It's about the limits of human perspective, the mysteries of existence. It's funny. It's absurd. It's a little bit unnerving. It is all of these things. And you're going to hear me talk about that with Sean Adams in just a bit. The Other People podcast is a free show. The entire archive is made available to listeners for free. It's wide open. There are no paywalls by design because nobody likes paywalls. So here's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to make this a listener supported show to keep it going. I make it free, and I hope that people who listen regularly and find this show valuable will support the show, and I've tried to make it as easy as possible to do that. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month over at patreon.com slash I am sensitive to the fact that people are operating at different income levels and all that kind of stuff, so it's a sliding scale. $1 a month, $3 a month, $5, 10 20 whatever you can swing. And as you move up the scale, you can get merch, a t-shirt, a tote bag, a coffee mug, a book club, a book club subscription, all of that stuff over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. So if you like the program, tip your server over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Uh, what else? Oh, Another great way to help is to rate and review this program wherever you listen. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, rate it, write a review. That helps in the algorithm, Spotify, whatever it is, rate the show. If you can review the show, write a quick review. It uh, it helps new listeners find the show. I do a weekly email newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, it's free. Sign up at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. It's pretty straightforward. It's once a week. I send out a list of things that I've been reading, links to essays and articles and all the rest that I've been finding interesting or funny or both or whatever. So it's, uh, it's a, I think it's a useful newsletter. I try to make it useful, and I only do it once a week. It's free. Sign up if you're interested. The Other People podcast is on YouTube. Did you know that? It has a YouTube channel. The entire archive is on YouTube, and now you can watch these episodes. I do video now. That's a relatively new development, so if you wanna watch me in conversation with Sean Adams, go to YouTube, search for the show by name, Other PPL, and when you find the channel, hit the subscribe button. It's free. You can also watch highlights of the show, video highlights on the Other People TikTok feed. The Other People show is now on TikTok. I post clips from the interviews on TikTok, so follow the show there. You can also watch clips on the show's Instagram feed and you can follow the show on Twitter at other PPL. Last but not least, I have a novel out. It's called Be Brief and Tell them Everything. It's available in trade paperback, ebook and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. It's a work of auto fiction. It's about me. It's about my life. It's about what I've been through. It's about how I'm thinking or how I was thinking about things. you know, it's about all this kind of stuff. So if you want to read it, Or listen to it you can do that again it's called be brief and tell them everything okay so today my guest is sean adams author of the new novel the thing in the snow official january pick of the tnb book club sean adams is a graduate of bennington college and the iowa writers workshop his debut novel the heap came out just last year i believe npr called it one of the great sci-fi novels of the year and now, here he is already with his follow-up novel, The Thing in the Snow, a hard-to-categorize, fun-to-read, fascinating, interesting, funny, unusual, somewhat uh, terrifying book, The Thing in the Snow, official TNB book club pick for the month. Let's get to the conversation, shall we? Here he is, folks. This is Sean Adams.
1: so this is actually my third time living in iowa third separate time basically i, I moved to iowa at one point you know like after college because i got a job uh, at, a, at a university and then i left there to move to seattle and then i came back for the workshop and then we eventually ended up here after a few other moves so yeah this is my third my third stop
0: wow would <laughs> you ever have, would you ever have predicted that
1: no, yeah. <laughs> no i would not
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but originally from upstate New York.
1: Yeah, yeah. Pine Plains is the name of the town. It's just a weird little town in, you know, kind of Duchess County.
0: Okay. And did you have like a a bookish upbringing? Like, have you always been into this?
1: Um, I would say that I was kind of into like, like in, in high school, um, and college, I was actually into like a performance a lot. So I would like, I would read, I would read a lot and I would, I studied literature and I, you know, like my mom always liked reading and, and liked to write. And so that was kind of inspiring to me. But I, I also feel like a lot of the times in, like in high school, I was I was in all the school plays and I was, you know, I did like, you know, the like comedy stuff and like improv stuff. And so that was kind of, that was kind of my creative outlet for a while. And then I, I kind of transitioned more towards like writing fiction because it was, it was just kind of nice, lower anxiety. I could just kind of sit in a room by myself and do it. <laughs> so well, I
0: was going to say, I don't often, I guess I've heard from writers through the years, a lot of, I think the most common crossover is music where, uh, you know, a writer that I interview will have spent time in a band at some point or will play like, a, you know, you know, on the weekends with friends or something. Oh, yeah. But like writers typically are not stage performers. <laughs> no, Right. <laughs> no, so like, not. how did yeah. you, how did you like temperamentally you dealt with that? Okay. Like you said, there was some anxiety.
1: Well, I think that that was kind of when, when I eventually stopped kind of like doing that stuff it, it was for that exact reason where I was just like sort of like I was just I would you know I'd have to, like a performance or something you know I'd, I'd be in a, a play or I'd be in a show or you know a student directed show or something and, and I'd be anxious about it for you know like weeks leading up to it then I'd you know perform and it would be exciting and then you know the next day would be like a huge come down And I feel like that was kind of like it. It it eventually transitioned into where like the excitement of the performance was just so much, so overwhelmed by the like all the anxiety leading up to it, all of the all of the time you know spent kind of just like dreading having to be on stage. So I just eventually stopped doing that.
0: (laughs) I can imagine like the joy of performance is actually just like relief that like it's over and you didn't like (laughs) you didn't like vomit on stage.
1: (laughs) No, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I never did. Yeah,
0: <laughs> did you did you ever write anything that you then performed or that your classmates then performed? Like, were you writing plays and stuff?
1: I, I wrote like comedy sketches, and then and then I was in um. We had a class in in college. It was basically called sitcom, and we you know we would we would get together as a group, and you would you'd write like an episodic series, basically. So you'd spend the first like five weeks of the semester kind of pairing up or, 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 you know, grouping up with other people in the class. And then you'd kind of come up with a concept and then you would write an episode every week and perform it at like the kind of like the school bar. Basically what school, then, wait, wait, what school was this? Uh, this is uh, Bennington college. Oh, okay. Um, right. And so, uh, and then, uh, and then I, we, you know, I did like a one man show class. So that was kind of like, that was kind of like almost like the, the clearest, you know, kind of like, it was just a, a basically an unreliable narrator monologue performed in front of people. So that was kind of, oh the my God. closest, yeah.
0: Yeah. I never did any of that. Like, I cannot imagine, (laughs) like doing a one man show, if you're an anxious temperament, like that's gotta be a lot. It it
1: was, yeah. It got miserable. Yeah. Uh uh, (laughs) But you
0: clearly like, like, but I, you know, I say that, I say that there's like some dissonance between the two pursuits, but there's also something about writing fiction in particular where you have command of the full cast and you get to sort of, what is it? Ventriloquize? Is that a, is that a verb? You know what I'm saying? Like you sort of get to play the puppeteer. Uh, I can see the crossover and I can see the appeal of turning to fiction where you get to sort of, you know, I I think I've argued in the past on this show that there's something performative about writing. It's just introverted and private, but nevertheless performative. <laughs> You're sort of sitting in front of your computer acting it out, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's that's all of it, you know, is that you you kind of have the final say of everything too, you know, so you can, you can kind of, you can write the scene how you want the scene to go and you don't have to worry about, you know, somebody dropping their line or, you know, trying to, to figure out, you know, who says what, when, and, you know, like timing everything. It's like, you're, you're the director basically. Yeah. I I don't know. That's yeah.
0: But did you get frustrated with uh, the the collaborative aspects of performance in theater and all that kind of stuff? Like, was that part of the, what drove you to uh, literature? Was it just like, you know, having to compromise and deal with people and cede some control?
1: It wasn't even necessarily that I didn't like to compromise. Like, it was, it was more that it was just sort of, you know, it's just like any time that you involve more people than one suddenly there's just like, you know, you have to schedule everything, you have to, to figure everything out every, you know, and then there are still, there are still things that can go wrong that are out of your hands. And so, you know, like it, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, like, like necessarily, uh, you know, that I, that I wanted control of everything as much as like, I just, you know, it's, it's just much easier to deal with, with only my thoughts, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, listen, I have a film degree and I remember making student films and that'll, (laughs) That alone was too much for me. I was just like, oh, all these people. And then there's these machines you've got to deal with like that. Like we, we were like, uh, this was the pre-digital age. It was right on the cusp of everything switching to digital. So I was still like loading Bolex cameras and oh God. that sort of stuff and cutting actual film, you know? And so I don't see the, I never saw the appeal in that. That was not what I was interested in. I was just interested in telling stories. You know, I wasn't interested yeah. in dealing with machines and logistics. But you mentioned, you you know, you said your mom was into reading. Uh, I was going to say, I always ask people if they have, like, a lineage. Like, do you have artists in your family? Do you have some tradition? Or are you sort of the uh, oddball?
1: Um, I mean, I think, like, yeah. So, like, my mom always always enjoyed writing, you know, and she still enjoys writing. And so that was kind of, like, um, that was always kind of, like, what I, you know, I was always, you know, there's probably part of, like, there was a part of me at a certain point that, like, wanted to write good stories to like impress my mom for sure you know but she would you know she she reads all the time she's you know she's got her book club and she's she's you know writing stories and stuff like that so yeah so she's uh yeah that's kind of like where i where i got inspired to just like you know write books right for the page basically and yeah yeah does mom does mom read
0: like does does she wait does mom read drafts of your books as they're like in process or does she only read the finished product
1: I, I, these days I, I pretty much send her the finished product. When I was like working on short stories, a lot of the times so I would send them, you know, to her in college or in, you know, like after college, you know, I'd get feedback from her on stuff, you know? So yeah.
0: She's redlining your stories. Just like,
1: <laughs> just, just <laughs> tear, yeah, tearing it apart. Just saying like, where's the interiority. Yeah, I was I was, just like, yeah.
0: So you get to Bennington, you're going through, I mean, that seems like a, I feel like I've talked to a lot of writers from Bennington. That's like a nice cushy place to be a creative Young person sort of sorting themselves out, right? it's oh, totally. pretty yeah. it's a pretty o- pretty open uh, environment,
1: yes, absolutely. yeah. no that's that that was the whole appeal, basically is it is you know, kind of like getting out of getting out of the routine, and kind of just being able to kind of like design things myself. That was the appeal when I went there, yeah,
0: and you knew that going in, yes. Damn, I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't. I don't think I heard of Benning. I don't think I heard of Bennington College until I was in college, you know, or something like that. You know, I was always late to the game. But you could just go there and design your own curriculum and just kind of make up your own art school, basically.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Make your own art school. Yeah, it's a an art school kit as a college. Yeah. All
0: right, so you're there, and that's when you make the turn decisively, and you're like, okay, I'm going to try to write books.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, like that's when I start to really like write short stories and and kind of like, like st- and, you know, I was studying literature, I wanted to study basically, like, creative writing. And, you know, I, I like it's because I enjoyed writing in high school. And I enjoyed writing, you know, like, like little plays or little comedy sketches, or whenever it was like, the creative writing time of year of the high school English class, you know, I was always like, I was down with that. But I, I kind of like, sort of definitely really started focusing more on fiction. Yeah. Like kind of like the second half of college, like I took some fiction writing classes early on and then, and then some theater classes and then kind of moved straight to the fiction stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I'm wondering like those early efforts, obviously there was some encouragement. We all get some encouragement along the way, or at least we are deluded enough to continue, you know, but like (laughs) something that, something that I'm fascinated by is how bad those early efforts are because the common story is like, Oh, you know, I was terrible. I wrote this horrible stuff and, you know, in college or I wrote high school poetry. That's so embarrassing. I had to shred it or whatever it is. But the truth, the actual truth is that not everybody's work sucks equally in the early going. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember being in film school and like one of my best friend in film school, he was making pretty good shit in film school. My stuff was really distinguishingly awful. Uh as a film student, uh, I feel like that my early writing efforts, like I always had a knack for writing to some extent. But if anybody read what I wrote when I was 19 years old, there's nobody who would have thought like, well, this guy's gonna publish one day. Yeah. Like so maybe there's maybe I'm patting myself on the back. I've come a long way. <laughs> At least I can, you know, write somewhat somewhat decent stuff, but do you have a sense of where you were in the early going? Like, did you start at a higher station or were you in the same boat as I was?
1: You know, I actually don't know. I I, like, there's a part of, you know, like, like having this conversation, there's a part of me that wants to go back and and look at stuff I wrote from then. And then there's also another part of me that would, would rather not do that. And I feel like, you know, it's funny. I just like thinking about this, there was, there's a distinct moment where it was like a a class that was weirdly named, you know, we had always like, you know, there's like a reading and writing short stories class in college and then there was this one class that was basically reading and writing short stories, but like half the class was writers and half the class was actors and the writers would read their short stories and then the actors would read them kind of like selected shorts basically, was like kind of like the model of the class, you know? And so there was an acting teacher and a writing teacher and, and it's funny because it was such a confusingly like named class I, uh, I managed to like place into that class pretty early even though I was even though I was like kind of like you know because because none of the other like you know basically like none of the other like you know like lit seniors or whatever understood what the class was or didn't realize you know how it worked and so I kind of I kind of ended up kind of like placing into this like higher level writing class basically you know by accident and I, I think like that was kind of a humbling experience and then kind of from there I feel like i I started to kind of like really bear down a bit but I you know, I don't know. I don't think I was like. I think that I, I, like I felt very confident in my writing at the time, and also, but like I've you know maybe almost like embarrassingly confident in what I'm sure was like a, not a very good product, is what I would say. <laughs> but maybe
0: that's. A, but I've I've read that like it's good to actually have confidence and to overestimate your capabilities because when you do that, you actually wind up achieving more you know what i'm saying like if you if you come away from a task and you're like oh i was terrible then you're less likely to eventually (laughs) master it No, i guess there's something something positive about you know having a little uh confidence but i think i was kind of the same way you know i don't think i thought to myself this is horseshit when i was making my student films (laughs) but i i've told this story before on this show but i made what i thought was a horror film my junior year about this woman who like kidnaps her ex-boyfriend's dog or just something horrible, you know, like convoluted. (laughs) And uh, I played it for like the entire film department and it got like huge laughs and it was like received as a comedy. <laughs> it was, like the most, humi- most humiliating moment of like my, my creative life and I was like, oh my God. And I think you, sometimes you need to be humbled maybe. You need to be like yeah. humiliated like that in order to get your shit together because
1: oh, absolutely, I
0: did better the next time around. That's a terrible feeling. <laughs> it's such a terrible no, feeling to intend like one thing and to have your art be received as something entirely different than you intended, you know?
1: and then yeah especially in like a class setting where you're just sitting there like you're just like 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 it's all happening like i feel like there were you know there are those workshops you have where people are just like talking about things and you're like oh no like i just wish i could stop and be like guys i'll scrap it like i don't
0: (laughs) yeah it's fine (laughs) fine. yeah 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 it's fine It's deleted. can i get a (laughs) do-over yeah uh okay so you get out of bennington and you've got maybe some short stories on your hard drive like what happens next
1: Uh, you know, I started, you know, kind of, so I was, I was living in Chicago briefly. Um, I was still kind of under, like, I still had this idea that like, I could, you know, like try and do like comedy performance and stuff like that, you know, that I wasn't necessarily like interested in like serious theater, but that like comedy was still, could be like an exciting thing to pursue. So I moved to Chicago and I was like, you know, studying like the comedy theaters and and stuff like that. And well, you trying to get into
0: second, were you trying to get into second city?
1: Yeah, you know, trying to like like IO Second City, you know, I was taking classes at IO and then just kind of like going to all the shows and stuff and like you know, so yeah, so I was hoping, you know, that was kind of like the dream, but like while I was there, it was kind of just like a rough time, you know what I mean, like trying to find a job. It was like September of like two thousand eight, so it was just a he, great uh, economy. Recession. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great time. Great time to graduate. You know
0: what? Uh, what Improv Olympics is IO right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, were you in, like, were you in league in Chicago at that time with anybody that like ended up on Saturday Night Live or anything like that?
1: Um, it was, so like friends of friends. So like, I think like, a, like, like I left Chicago pretty quickly. I was only there for about like nine or 10 months. And then, oh, okay. but then friends, friends who stuck around, you know, like, um. Like a friends of friends, like like 80 Bryant was like a friend of my friend Mark's friends, basically. <laughs> or like you know, um, like so you guys are tied. You, know, so you like, guys are yeah. tight is what you are saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but that was brief. You got to Chicago and you quickly figured out like it wasn't happening or what.
1: Yeah, it just wasn't happening. It was just like sort of you know, it was kind of just like a rough time, you know. And and then and then so I so I I left. You know, I did some temping and stuff like that, and I, and I eventually kind of just you know went home. So I was working part time. And you know, and that was it was, I started to write like short humor pieces. And, uh, and I like, I was able to, like that was around that, like, you know, like, kind of like McSweeney style pieces and stuff like that. So I started kind of like doing that as like a, a writing project. And then I was kind of working, I was grading papers for an online university. And uh, that was kind of like my part- time job that I was that I could do from home. So since I could do it from home, I eventually basically was just like I'm gonna move home and figure out what to do next. So I moved back to New York and yeah, and then eventually got a full-time job with that online university in Iowa. So that's kind of like the first Iowa stop.
0: okay, so you leave, so you're you're back at home, you get your shit together, and then you go to Iowa to work for this company, basically. Yes, okay. And what's that like? I mean, I guess you, you had already had like, you know, a Midwestern tendency with Chicago, but like to go from being a, an upstate New York guy, I'm assuming you had some proximity to the city, right? Could you take the train? Oh, into, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you grew up doing that and then suddenly you're where in Iowa?
1: Uh, it's a town called Clinton, Iowa. Um, so it's like right on the Mississippi river. So it's like a river town. So yeah, no, I mean, it was a very, it was cause you know, you know, it's like you grew up in like, like the Hudson Valley is, is, is you know, basically like a a network of small towns and, but they're very Northeastern small towns. And like, you know, and so it was just kind of like, you know, it was definitely a little bit, it was, it was interesting to, to, to move to the Midwest and, you know, cause yeah, exactly. I was in Chicago and I'm like, well, I've lived in the Midwest, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I already know what the Midwest is like. (laughs) And so, yeah. I Yeah. But it was, it was a bit different. Yeah. What
0: is, yeah. What I have no, I mean, I grew up in the, the Midwest myself. I'm from Milwaukee and Indianapolis, but I do not know anything about Clinton, Iowa.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just a small town. So it's actually, so that's where I actually, so I mean, it's, I have very fond feelings about Clintons where I met my wife. Huh. So like I have, uh, you know, so like it was, you know, it's kind of like, like a small river town. Like there's a, uh, I want to say like, it's one of the widest points in the Mississippi river is there. It's like four miles wide at the, at the, at clinton but it's a it's a you know it's a strange little town i think like you know there was um you know some you know it's a kind of like a classic midwestern story t- like midwestern river town story of like some some factories shut down and it's a like a little bit you know recessed and you know it's just yeah
0: got some crystal math yeah
1: <laughs> i'm sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> not that you would know but you know no. so you uh you're there for how long
1: Um, God, I was there for about, so I was there for a year and then, so we, we moved to, we moved across the river basically to Illinois, you know, like after a year, you know, so I met, I met my wife and and we began dating and then we moved, we moved to Rock Island, Illinois, which is basically like right nearby the Quad Cities, like right down the, right down the river from Clinton. And so, yeah, and so we were living there for a year and then I, and then I got a job in Seattle.
0: Like, did you ever have any itch to, like, get? did you get out on the river? If you live on the Mississippi River, like, I, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, it's obviously got a big literary history. Like, were you out there on a boat or doing anything?
1: I, you know, I didn't, I, I have not gone on the river enough. So my, my father-in-law is, like, a commercial fisherman. He in the in the eighties, he was like a clammer on the Mississippi River. So he would dive for clams in the Mississippi River and like Damn. and pull him up and like yeah. And so you know, so he has he has boats and he has you know like he he, he goes out on the river a lot. And so I've been out a few times and it's you know it's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, can you can you what do like about can you it? do
0: like the Mark Twain thing? I mean, I feel like I've read. There's somebody who did it. You know, like there are people who try to like recreate that journey. But I want to say it's not as easy as it once was uh
1: I, I wonder what it'd be like i know you know like part of the whole thing is like i think the life on the mississippi right he was like um i think it's, it's you know it's, it's before all the dams so that would change everything because I, I know it was like this treacherous thing that you had to be like this ultra skilled like ferry pilot to navigate the mississippi
0: okay yeah and then
1: with all the dams everything's much you know the water levels are a lot different so that uh the lock and dams so that you don't you're not like running aground all the time or like having to navigate these weird passages and
0: Yeah. Plus, I think it was a lot more exotic in the 19th century to like, (laughs) Yeah. now it's like, oh, you went from Minnesota to Louisiana on a river? Like, you know, and probably you have the boat, you know, I don't know what kind of, I guess, what was it? A steamship or whatever he was piloting. It's fairly sophisticated, but not nearly like, what would you have now? I guess you'd have a, I mean, if you, I guess some people try to do it in like a canoe or some sort of like raft or something, but you then leave uh what was it rock island and you take this job in seattle what was the job there
1: uh so i was writing uh it's like a uh, this is like kind of like it was like a first my first writing job and so i was writing for it's like a you know product copy for this website called Woot.com. it's a deal day website it was kind of it was a it was a sweet job they basically their whole thing was like they you know they wanted they sold kind of like they sell they sell like budget stuff and and they they want the write-ups to be funny and pretty like self-deprecating and and so you know so so that was kind of so i got a uh, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty neat job
0: oh cool yeah
1: um, i was able to get it basically without yeah like i basically only had like a few i had a few like humor publications online was able to to score it through that so that was a <laughs> it was a good get
0: where were you publishing online these humor pieces was it McSweeney's or so
1: I did, uh McSweeney's and then and then a few other little places you know like i had, I had yeah, um there was for a little while barnes and noble like on their website would publish humor pieces there. And um, and so I'd publish with them and, you know, and then there are a few other like little websites here and there. I'm trying to think like, the, like I published a little bit with like the morning news and, um, and then it was a, a website called the Bygone Bureau.
0: Okay. And then at, at, yeah. at what point do you start writing The Heap, which is your first book, right?
1: I read The Heap like years later. So like I, uh, so I finished, so, you know, I was, I was at, in Seattle for a while and eventually decided to apply to grad school and I, you know, I go to Iowa and I finish Iowa and then I start the heap basically.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So I thought the heap was maybe like your thesis or something at Iowa, but you were working on what, stories there?
1: Just, yeah, short stories pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I was, I think like, like, you know, I think like I had a fantasy about eventually figuring out how to, um eventually like just writing a novel while I was there. You have like all this time, you have all this, you know, like you're in this cool creative community. And then I just like, I could just never, I think that there's, you know, some of like some of the workshop anxiety kind of just like, you know, you get into this, like it's, it's easier to workshop a short story than it is to workshop a novel. So, you know, you kind of, uh, like it's, it's, it's more of an interesting discussion. And and so I was kind of writing short stories, thinking I'd try and write a collection of short stories and then eventually I write a novel, but then, yeah. And then I, I, I think i was just sort of like working on so many stories that were just sort of like you know like a lot of them are like still on my computer and i don't know what to do with them and so they're you know so i um kind of like when i finished my plan was i was like i'm going to try and write a novella and i'm going to try and like i just want to finish it like i you know i don't really want to like sit with this for too long i want to write something and be done with it you know i want to write something large and i want to finish it and i don't you know and so that was kind of like, that was the, and that was how the heap started. So I started writing it and then put it, put it away for a little while. And I, you know, what I, and then kind of figured my way out.
0: Was the heap an outgrowth of any of the stories that you had written in grad school?
1: Not really. No, you know, i started writing what was going to be the heap, you know, as a short story. And then, you know, I just kind of like, I never workshopped it. I, so I, I started it, but never finished it. And then, you know, and then I, I realized some of the issues I was having with it were because I just like needed more space. Uh, and so you know so I started you know so I so then after grad school I just you know my my original plan was like I want to write a 30,000 word kind of like sci-fi novella and then and then kind of things kept I kept figuring out that I needed like other things in order to make it all make sense that I needed to add different components and you know like uh, put put some put it all together and like put you know like that there needed to be like multiple narrators that we needed to have like different perspectives on things and so like as those kind of as I realized those sorts of things, it sort of grew and grew, and, and then was a novel.
0: Isn't it funny how you can go to like the Iowa Writers' Workshop, like the esteemed Iowa Writers' Workshop, and spend your two or three years there writing a bunch of stories that don't end up getting published, but it's still a valuable experience. <laughs> I mean, it's not the first time I've heard this, like whether it's Iowa or it's another MFA program, but just like a place where you go. And you spin your wheels a little bit, but you're but you're cranking out work, and you're learning the trade one way or another, and you're dealing with like you said that workshop anxiety. And like, do you have fond memories of Iowa? I've heard mixed things. Like some people really loved it, other people thought it was like a you know kind of a nightmare.
1: You know, I I had I had a I like I enjoyed my time there. I met you know I you, you I met some great people to like who who still kind of like read my stuff now and like and you know and talking about it, like I went there in like the eighties or something. it was like a few <laughs> years ago and I had a good time. I do feel like, like kind of like my trajectory was that, you know, I got to the writer's workshop and I, you know, like that. And I, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write the stuff that I, that I was always, that i had always been writing, which were kind of like weird sort of like, you know, like pretty silly, short stories, you know, they're, they're pretty like funny. I thought, and, um, kind of like, you know, almost like speculative esque, You know speculative adjacent stories and so you know i I definitely wrote that stuff there but there was definitely a feeling of trying to like you know you want to write you know like hard-hitting short stories or or or, you know that that was kind of like not hard-hitting is the wrong phrase but i just like i definitely felt like i bent my style a little bit while i was there and then i got out and was and have kind of reverted back to the things i wrote before but i definitely feel I definitely feel more purposeful in that, if that makes sense that, you know, like there's sort of like when you have to or not defend, you're not really defending your work and workshop, but when you have to, you know, when you, when you're kind of confronted with people's impressions of your work, it sort of helps you make decisions. It helps you under, like it helps you feel more passionate about the decisions you want to make, if that makes sense. I don't know, like that, I, that there are decisions, there are things I like to do with writing, there are things i like to do in my writing that like i maybe didn't totally realize i was doing before before going to the iowa writers workshop and i feel like or or just like you know or any sort of like writing class you know and then uh and kind of coming out of that i was just i i i definitely have more of a sense of like what i'm doing and doing it more and so i do it more purposefully if, or with, with more purpose if that makes sense
0: Yeah that's really interesting because it's inevitable I think it's like just as a as a human matter that whatever mfa program you're in is going to reflect ultimately the sensibilities of the selection committee like it, i don't care how impartial you think of yourself you know as trying to be like you've got your everybody's got their taste right and so i think that you know maybe there's like that uh like the raymond carver school of fiction or whatever that I've I've heard that that sort of like predominated at Iowa, if I'm remembering correctly. And I could imagine being somebody who's more speculative or whimsical or, you know, has more of a humor uh, angle to their fiction, going into a program where like hyper-realist, like heavyweight storytelling about serious stuff could potentially be something that you butt up against and then you start to bend your fiction in that direction in an effort to maybe get approval in workshop like was that what you're talking about like you're trying to sort of like form your work into like that mold
1: yeah and and maybe just even like you know because i not you know like i never really wrote like realist fiction while i was there except for kind of like you know, like maybe like one semester, I, I tried basically, and then uh, and okay, it I'll
0: bad. do a I'll do a protagonist who's an alcoholic and who uh,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah whatever. yeah there's, these this, there's, you know domestic couple they're just dealing with some shit right now you know they're just right, little, like, right, going through right. it yeah but I, I feel like it, it was definitely kind of you know like trying to think you know it's like you start to almost like second guess you know, maybe second guessing certain choices you're making, thinking, you know, like, oh, is this going to get like, are people just going to say like, that's too silly? Or like, are people going to ask, what are the rules of this world? Are people going to, you know, like, are people going to say like, this isn't grounded enough or something, you know, like, are you going to get that feedback? And so that's in the back of your mind while you're writing. And then like, so even if you're writing something maybe like a little speculative, you're thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, how is this going to be received by, By a group of people who, like, I I think it was, like, during the, um, during, like, the introduction, like, I think one of the, one of the professors said, just, like, remember, like, just, like, when it was, like, the new student introductions and stuff, you know, one of the professors was, like, just remember, everyone who's commenting on your work has been thinking for, like, for several days what they're going to say about it. And so you get a lot of kind of, you know, you get things like, 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 the readers in your workshop are not going to be necessarily like the reader's you know, who just pick up a book to read a book. And so, you know, and yeah, I, so kind of, yeah.
0: I was just going to say, I don't feel like a lot of the people in my, the, my workshop experience barely read anybody else's stuff. Uh, like <laughs> like the, the point that I'm trying to make is that not everybody is a, equal as a... Uh, in the role of the uh cr- critic. You know what I'm saying the critiques are not all made equal and I think people put different levels of energy into it and I think it's a certain skill set. I think some people have a real aptitude for creative feedback and other people are just terrible at it and it's like you know part <laughs> yeah. of being in a part of being in a workshop environment is knowing how to parse that stuff because otherwise you're just taking bad advice, you know.
1: Yeah, no exactly. You're going to get about you're going to get about like like 80% more feedback that is actually useful. And some of it's just going to be stuff that you're just like going to, you know, as it's happening, you know, you almost, you're like, as you're hearing it, you're thinking, you know, it's like, I'm just like, I'm not gonna do this. (laughs) Like, this is, this is not, this is not what I'm trying to do here.
0: Yeah. yeah. And like, there's like a performative aspect to giving feedback. And so I could sometimes feel like, wow, this person like really doesn't care. And yet they're pretending to. (laughs) Just yeah, to exactly. you know, fulfill, fulfill their like class role or whatever, it's kind of a weird thing. But I, I hope, like I would imagine at Iowa, it was maybe more serious because it's a more "quote unquote" serious program. But you know, to to follow this train of thought about you know having a certain sensibility that might not mesh in the most perfect way with like the prevailing sensibility of the program, if there is such a thing. I could imagine how like when you're in it, it's a little uncomfortable and you're trying to find your way and you're trying to get through workshops and you know, keep a sense of yourself. And then I can imagine as you get out of the workshop or you get out of the program and you have some space and some distance from it, that you can then swing the other way. And like you said, be more purposeful about kind of being yourself on the page and following your own uh nose when it comes to the kind of work that you make and the kind of work that you're good at making.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. That's how, that's how I feel about, you know, about the stuff that I'm writing now. It's like, I'm not like, you know, there, there are times where, you know, it's like you have two years and I think like, and I do think that this is a thing, you know, with, with all grad schools, like you look at it where it's like, you have two to three years you're, you know, you know, if, if, if you're lucky you're in a funded program, you know, everyone around you, like the only expectation is that you write and, you know, maybe teach, you know, it's like, it's the perfect, it seems like the perfect time to maybe like, write the book that you're going to eventually publish and yet I, I like for me personally like like the heap wouldn't have ever happened if i like workshoped the first 3 chapters of it i don't think you know like i don't necessarily like i don't feel like this it would have i think it would have gotten into my head about it in a way that i was able to kind of avoid while i was out like you know just freshly out of the workshop wow.
0: It's interesting at the same time to think about how like the heap might not have happened if you didn't have the, the Iowa program to react against. Exactly. You know what I'm saying?
1: That's yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. That I feel like it's like, um, you know, like, yeah, like I don't think I could have written it while I was there, but I also, you know, without, without kind of confronting, you know, without like, like, it's just like, like it it was a good time in that, like I managed to confront a lot about like my writing and about what are, what are the things I'm good at? Like, what is what are the things that like I value in a story and kind of, you come out of that, like, kind of like, yeah, more eager than ever <laughs> to, to just like, you know, to do what you want to do kind of.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So you felt like a little constrained by Iowa and, uh, and yeah, yet you you, know you that, feel like you learned a lot from it.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to like, you know, I feel like I want to, like, I, I had a good, like I was, my workshops were like supportive and, and like, I think like a lot of the constraint was in my own head, kind of, you know, that it was definitely like, I was like, some of the constraints were, you know, like, you know, like second guessing myself, imagining feedback I might get that was in, in a lot of ways, like kind of like not the kind of feedback I ended up getting for most of my stories, you know, that I had a lot of, I had a lot of really supportive classmates and stuff. And, and most, I think most of the people there, like every now and then, I think when you write kind of like this sort of satire or, 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 you know, kind of that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not super realist or, or whatever. There are, there are certain people that wanna, that wanna make it like a one-to-one thing, you know, that they're, they're looking for the character where it's like, what does this character represent? Or like, what is this situation? Like, what's the real life analog to what this character is going through? In the story and i do feel like for the most part though like most of the most of the readers i had in grad school were were very open to like weird fiction and you know like like fiction that pushed the boundaries even you know and so like yeah but it was definitely like i don't think So
0: there, well i was going to say there's no like sense of vind- vindication like where uh you've published a heap and then you're like see no no, all, no 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 <laughs> all you all of my everybody who doubted me you didn't you didn't uh feel no. a sense of like trying like like uh what's the word for it you know vindication you know where you sort of want to rub it in in their face
1: no not at all not at all really i mean like i had like you know i mean like you know i mean like i feel like i feel like i like the 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 you know like you have i don't know they're they're you're always going to come up against people who don't uh, like who aren't the people like I think that that's the funny thing about a workshop right is that like like if if you're in a bookstore you're gonna pick up a book and be like oh this isn't my thing right but like you end up in a workshop with like a bunch of people and some of them would be the pe- the person who would pick up your book in a bookstore and be like oh not for me right which is a totally like and yet like they're also expected to you know they can't they can't come into workshop and say like Oh, I don't really like this kind of book. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and that, like, yeah, it's a
0: great point. You should be able to just you should, in, in a workshop. If it's not your thing, you should just be able to pass. You should just be able
1: like pass, <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, it might be helpful.
0: Well, like, <laughs> just, why, I do you feel like why, it's not going to be worth a shit? Like, you're not going to get anything from a critique from somebody who's like not into your stuff at all, or like doesn't like to read speculative fiction or whatever it is. You know, like, uh, I think that there's a logic to it, but I also feel like you might run into a situation where a lot of people wind up passing. People take advantage of it because they're lazy. Or if you think about the mathematics of finding your reader, like the person who would in a bookstore pick up your book and be like, this is my thing. What's the percentage out of 100 people? Maybe it depends, I guess, on what you're writing. But I mean, I would say for most literary fiction writers, it's like two or three or four people out of 100 who would wind up being- (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. Just because t- taste is so specific, there's such a variety. Everybody's got their own little thing, but it's not a it's not a simple equation.
1: No, exactly. That's a great point. And and you know, and, and part of it is like you know, I feel like I've read a lot of books that kind of described on paper. I would say you know that's not my thing. And then I've read the book and I've really loved it. So like you know, there is there is that issue. There like you know, it's like so. How do you like find that balance between you know? It's like you've got. You know, you're in a room of twelve people, and some of them just like might not be interested in this kind of book, right? But then also, some of them might think that they're not interested in this kind of book and really enjoy it. And then you know, it's just like, so yeah,
0: yeah. You know, I say that, and I'm like, I think I'm actually, I'm a very, I, I'm an, I feel like I'm an easy audience. Like, I'm open to reading just about anything. Just about anything. I mean, there's some stuff that if I pick it up, it's just not for me. But like, I like to read lots of different things. I find myself liking or seeing the beauty in most books that I read to the point where I sometimes am like, I I sort of marvel at people who have like very finely attuned like critical sensibility. Like they like they're very confident in their criticism. Like this is good. This is bad you know, like they, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of like, how can anybody feel that certain about their own opinions? But uh, then I also will sometimes come down on myself and be like, well, maybe you're just stupid and you just like everything. Like, a, <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like maybe there's like a failure yeah, yeah. of intelligence because I'm not as discerning as I should be or something, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, right, really I, think, I think what yeah. I am,
0: I'm, simp- I'm sympathetic to the writer as the creator. I can always feel the the actual person trying to make the art. And I'm always cheering for that person. I think as long as they're operating in good faith, I think that's what it comes down to. Yes. It's hard for me to read a book that I know somebody put all, I, I know how much work it is to write a book. It's not easy. Yeah. Anybody who put no. themselves through that, I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you get out of Iowa, you write the heap, the heap like tell take us on the the, the journey there like you you finished that book you find an agent did you get an agent out of the iowa experience or
1: um so i i kind of worked with uh another agent there about a with a collection of short stories uh kind of like basically i showed them some short stories kind of been setting them short stories like throughout my time at iowa and then you know they've come to the they've come to the workshop and and then I um, eventually, you know, like I signed with them to try and sell a collection of short stories that just didn't sell. So then I had, um, you know, I had my draft of The Heap and um, they they weren't interested in working with that. So then I started, you know, I kind of started the process of looking for another agent. And I was kind of maybe starting to think about just like putting it on the shelf. And I, and I decided to send it to one more agent who was the agent who took it on, basically, huh. who I saw on Twitter. You know, it was like a friend of mine. From the from the workshop is also a client of his, and then some other you know some other people I, I uh, you know you know other writers I like and respect had mentioned that he's he's cool to work with you know because you know other clients of his, and so yeah he would put something out on Twitter like looking for some submissions, and so I was like oh this guy seems like he might be into you know weirder stuff. So and this yeah. is
0: this is Kent Wolf, is that right? K- yeah, Kent Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah. then the, he he takes it out and and it obviously finds a publisher. Like what what did that. Process look like
1: so that process so there was a couple rounds, like you know so we we went out with it like he he wanted to make sure since it's kind of a, a different you know novel, he wanted to make sure like he wanted to send it to kind of like he wanted to do multiple you know or like, you know if necessary, multiple rounds of kind of like small submissions of like you know like ten editors at a time, just the people who might be open to that kind of thing, and so we we sent it out you know we sent it out to the first round and uh. And, you know, everyone like it was it's bizarre because I feel like you come from you come from submitting short stories where, you know, you like you work on a short story for eight months. You, you know, put it into Submittable. You get the email that's like, hey, like, you know, our average response time is like, you know, 19 months from now, like you might hear from us. And then, you know, and then, you know, and then eventually you get like a stock rejection and or like maybe or, you know, if you get an acceptance, it's like, you know, like it feels like it's like two years later. And then you you kind of like. You get into the world of having an agent and having a novel out, and like you know, it was like you know, it was like people are like, "I read it this weekend, like I really enjoyed it, but it's not for me." <laughs> you know, right. like, oh, it's like well, it's a bizarre hey, but, world. But listen, <laughs>
0: listen, that's a credit to your agent because not every, you know, I feel, yeah, I, I've heard that like not every agent, you know, when they send something out, gets that kind of response. You know, sometimes things just there's just no response from editors yeah, who no. receive. You know, so. It's good. That mean that speaks highly of your uh, of Kent's reputation that people are reading and responding.
1: yeah, no, no, he's 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 great. and he so we did another round, and actually, so my editor, Nate Landman, he had like he was basically I think he was just starting to take you know, submissions basically because like so the heap is actually the first book he was like the editor of, you know, so he was he was working under another editor at William Morrow. And so yeah he read the heap and really enjoyed it and then yeah and then it was kind of we went from there
0: wow okay so where are you when you get that news
1: um i uh (laughs) i'm i was walking my dog and i like checked my email on my phone it's one of those things like i feel like you know i was like being very neurotic and i was checking my email every five minutes and then sometimes you know i'd i'd say to you know i'd i'd want to you know i'd say like it'd be better if i just put this aside uh, you know, for two hours, I might actually hear something. And then but it was just like, of course, it was just like a random time when I had checked five minutes ago, I checked my email, and it was like, Oh, hey, like, you know, there's an editor interested, he wants to talk to you. And so we had this conversation. And then he was like working on getting the permission to, uh, you know, acquire the book, you know, and they they wanted to show it to some salespeople and stuff like that to see, you know, what they thought, and then it was pretty much in in good shape. And then, but it was like, this was all happening kind of in like October and then like, you know, we talked, I think in maybe November, actually it was like October, or November. And then, so he was finally getting like permission. And then it was the, like the break that everyone takes for publishing for the holidays.
0: Dude, don't so even, don't like, even get know, me, so. don't even get me started on people in publishing <laughs> taking breaks. I mean, I know it's, listen, I know it's also like an underpaid, like, you know, a hell hole in a lot of ways for people trying to work their way up. But like, vacations the summer holidays like trying to get in touch with people like people check out i feel like a lot
1: well yeah so so it you know so we eventually came back so it was like one of those things where it was like you know i was like you know like i think it was like the week before christmas and i'm just like check my email constantly to be like oh man i just would love to get this news and then go home for christmas and not be thinking about this but then you know it came back right you know basically like pretty much as soon as as everyone came back Uh, Yeah.
0: Okay, well, that's good, though. That's actually good. Because I I feel like sometimes when things slow down like that, and the decision process gets long, that's actually ominous. Like in my experience, like the, the yeses tend to happen quickly, you know, and the nos. Yes. If if you don't hear anything or things drag on, it can sometimes be bad news. But it's good that it worked out. You must have been relieved.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, hugely relieved. And I think some of it was just because it was his first novel like, acquire his first novel acquisition. So I think, like, it took maybe, you know, a little bit longer to get everything in order for that. So that was kind of, like, that was kind of, you know, like, and again, like, you know, a credit to Kent, who is kind of in my ear a lot during that process being, like, don't worry too much about this. yeah she's <laughs> like, like things are going well. <laughs>
0: oh, good. Okay. Yeah, exactly. As you're like yeah. breathing rapidly into a brown paper bag, and yeah. like, you know, trying no <laughs> exactly. Type. And then the book goes on to become like a New York Times what Editor's Choice, right? It had some good critical success yeah, yeah. and like a nice debut. And like, yeah, I think it's worth pointing that out just because you know, I it just takes one, like it takes one editor to say yes and to believe in the project. No, totally. And then it gets out there, and you know, people start reacting to it, and it's always good to be reminded of that, you know it's like books that do well critically and do good sales or both or whatever oftentimes faced an arduous you know sales process. It wasn't like everybody was clapping for it and racing to publish it.
1: no, I think that that's kind of it's it's like a thing that I've noticed kind of like you know like um is like the stories you hear are either the they're either the stories of like, you know, like, oh, like his agent sent that out and, you know, there were like 30 bidders in the first 10 minutes, you right. know, like that it hit emails or, or else, or, and then the other, the other side of the story is they like, you know, like this, this, you know, Nobel, you know, or Pulitzer prize winning novel, you know, was rejected, you know, 600 times before, you know, like I finally found a publisher and now like it's, you know, well, it, it was, like, pu- it was
0: published, it was published posthumously because the author was so depressed that he <laughs> offed himself or whatever, you know, <laughs>
1: And then, yeah, but there's so many, yeah, there's so many stories that are like somewhere in the middle where it's like, yeah, like, you know, like, it's, it's a series of like one person at a time kind of, you know, like, like one agent is like, hey, I like this, like, let's, let's work on it. And then one editor is like, hey, I like this, let's work on it. And then like, it's a chain of that of those events and then it's still a book in the world like you know what i mean nobody nobody reviewing it is like "Ah, i can tell why only one agent went for this novel like you know or like nobody you know like i can tell why you know i could tell why this took two rounds like nobody knows that stuff right nobody knows the background story yeah everyone just reads it as a book
0: and 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 as far as like your friends and family are concerned it's just like a roaring success right i mean i feel like the i feel like the, (laughs) the like the The general, I feel like the general population's understanding of the business of publishing is so far from the reality of it that it's like, it's one of the more disorienting parts of publishing a book is that like people just assume things about like sales and about what the money's like and about like what the life is (laughs) like. (laughs) I'm I'm almost glad they don't know the truth. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well yeah you, and you're like so excited you're so excited about the success like you get your book out there and, and then like yeah somebody's like somebody's like so you are gonna like quit your job now and you're like and you, then you're it's like right back down to like earth you're like no i can't quit my job what are you talking about <laughs> right.
0: yeah no not anytime soon but uh let's get to the thing in the snow because yeah. you have a book called the heap which i have to confess i did i haven't read yet but like i'm thinking i'm thinking like the heap the thing in the snow, they, they, I mean, at least in, at the level of the title, the heap seems to indicate some kind of mysterious heap of something. And then the thing in the snow, (laughs) you're into mysterious things. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Mysterious things for sure. Yeah. So, so the thing in the snow, you know, the heap is kind of like, it, it is more of like a sprawling novel and kind of like, you know, I mean, it's not super long necessarily, but like, it's like, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of POV shifts. There's a lot of like, kind of like lore built into it. And I really did want to, with The Thing of the Snow, I really did want to like, I wanted to write something that was just very compact and very kind of like, you know, that that there's like basically four characters through the whole novel. There's some few others, but yeah. But it was kind of like a feeling of like, okay, cool. Like, like the, to me, like the heap is like a, a type of book I really enjoy reading, like that kind of like satirical thriller, kind of like you know borderline sci-fi, and then the the thing of the snow is definitely like kind of just like this this kind of book that like I don't know that that it it's like it's just like you know, it it feels it feels like what it's like in my head. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if that makes sense. But but I mean it's
0: like I was trying to think of like comparisons as I was reading it. I was like it's sort of like Office Space meets the X Files meets like Samuel Beckett (laughs) or something. Right? I mean it's like this it's kind of like this (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It's 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 like a mannered workplace comedy on one level, but it's also got like this sci-fi uh horror almost like a horror vibe just I mean there's just a there's some menace in it you know and like as a reader I'm off balance I'm like oh god you know like what's Gilroy gonna do or what's what is this (laughs) is this thing in the snow gonna attack like it's almost like alien the movie alien you know and you just don't quite know as you're going but it's also like a really funny send-up of corporate culture corporate office culture which uh, I imagine had to be fun to write
1: Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was really fun to write. Like, I was, I mean, that's kind of what, like, I just, like, really wanted to, you know, like, I really wanted to keep all of the drama, like, it's like interpersonal drama. Like, you know what I mean? I really wanted, I really wanted to kind of capture that kind of, like, uh, there's kind of, kind of the people that you would only interact with if you're required to interact with them for, right. you know, your job, basically. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Uh, so when you, and then, like, everything is set in some kind of like, like it feels polar to me, like North or South pole, like somewhere yes. very remote, very cold, but not ultimately defined. It's called the Northern Institute. And, you know, you talk about compact, like I, I couldn't help but think of the horror genre, uh, especially of the horror genre cinematically where the, the project seems to be especially if you want to get one of these things made is that you keep costs down like production costs down by limiting it to one location so it's like the cabin in the woods you know (laughs) like or (laughs) it's like a haunted house or whatever it is you know you're in kind of you kind of everyone's kind of marooned in one place and that's definitely the the case here where like people can't even go outside it's so cold that like people get what snow blindness or you know
1: Yeah. Yeah. They just get like severe disorientation outside on the snow. But that's not a, that's not a thing.
0: I mean, just disorient, like visually disoriented.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're Yeah. It's a, and that was, I mean, that was like some of it was, you know, like just trying to, I wanted to, you know, like this, this place doesn't, you know, like not even doesn't exist, but like can exist, you know what I mean? Like this, this location. And I just really, but I really wanted it to be, yeah, it's kind of, and I think that that's the concept you're talking about with a lot of the horror stuff. It's like, it's a place that nobody can leave. You know what I mean? That there's kind of like, you can't, there's no escape from this. Like, if you're there, you're there and you can't, you know, there's no, like, there's no stepping out for fresh air. There's no, you know, like, there's no, you know, getting away from anybody for a minute, like, you know, going, going home on the weekends or anything. Like, they're just Sounds
0: there. awful. It's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> and and also like just the 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 bitter cold and the snow and everything i'm curious like i guess growing up in the hudson valley you saw your fair share of snow in the winter and everything have you ever spent time in like an extreme northerly or southerly latitude
1: no no not really no i mean like this is you know it's just kind of like you know new york vermont iowa you know so that's like mostly you know it's like i haven't actually you know it'd be you know Probably the, de- the descriptions of the cold might be a little bit stronger if I had ever, you know, stepped foot in, you know, like a, like Winnipeg or something or, or even further north. But, or, but you
0: know, you've uh, done your time. I mean, though you've gotten, you know, <laughs> you, you know, bleak winter if you've lived in upstate. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. Uh, how do, so how does this originate? You know, aside from just having like, you know, some experience with bad weather, like do you have like a vision of the Northern Institute or do you have a character voice or what's the what's the genesis?
1: You know, I think so. Like, I forget exactly. So, I actually I wrote like a draft of this that was like eighty pages long. Like, while I was trying to figure out what to do with the heap forever ago, and, and I, it was just like something was wrong with it. And I just was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing. So, I, I basically put it aside. But I think at that point, I was just thinking about like, I just like again, I think it was just like ha- like like the snow was sort of like secondary. You know, the, the 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 climate and stuff is stuff that I came up with later after kind of I really wanted to just like. I wanted to engineer a place where, you know, it's a small group of people who are stuck in this place where it's a little unsettling. And yet at the same time, at the same time, like, like, again, it was coming out of coming off of like writing the heap. I wanted to write something specifically where like the threats were, you know, like that there was kind of like. Not, it's not a quiet novel. I don't think like I could say that, but that it's kind of again yeah, like I think you mentioned that it was mannered. Like I wanted to kind of keep it more like between the characters. I really didn't want like you know like if there's things in the heap. There's like a grand conspiracy. There's like you know this like this like basically like syndicate of these like you know evil people doing bad things. There's all of these like big twists and turns and stuff. And so I really wanted to write something that was just like like people at their job trying to figure out what to do and and specifically like I think like I just I don't know I'm always drawn to like the narrator like the the narrator uh in the book is just kind of like a miserable like overthinking dude and so like that was kind of like I really wanted to like just tap into that voice and just like like almost like it's 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 like you know it's like some of my worst overthinking tendencies just like if I let them run wild it would probably be a lot like this person
0: right right but he's also not like the typical protagonist. In a in a narrative like this usually i think the more the more obvious choice would be to have the narrator be like the outlier guy who's actually cool and feels like this is bogus and <laughs> sort of you know kind of like hates the bureaucracy and um you know wants to break out or whatever but like this guy Hart, your narrator is I, I wish I could remember the movie office space better, but like the, you know, the guy who's like, mm, yeah, you know, you know that guy, he's like the, he's like the manager, <laughs> yeah,
1: the stapler, the stapler yeah, he's guy, there. Right? he's yeah. like, that's, oh, oh no, yeah, yeah, no, yes, yes, the manager, right. right. That's yeah. kind of
0: who Hart is. And he's the guide you yes. know, for the reader. He's the surrogate that that's kind of like taking us into this world and leading us through. And I got to say, you know, like, he's not like he's not like the guy you want to hang with on the weekends. Right. Right. He's not like the the life of the party. He's kind of the guy you (laughs) want to avoid.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's the, like, I always think of him as, as kind of like, you know, it's like, uh, if you have a friend who has uh, a miserable job and like, but the the stories of their miserable job for you are so entertaining because like you don't have to live it. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, but then like, but like, yeah, it's like, so like, kind of like, it's like, I wanted it to have that feeling of like, you're just like reading about this guy and thinking like, I just cannot, like, like, I would not want to be anywhere near this dude. Yeah. Like, I would not want this dude to be my supervisor under any circumstance.
0: Well, it's so funny to me, the balancing act that you're pulling off in this book, because like I said, there's a sense of, of sort of impending doom. And then there's also these uh, everyday interactions between Hart, who's like the guy we're talking about, the the narrator of the book, and the manager on site at the Northern Institute. And then there's Klein and Gibbs, who are his underlings, and they have these like really, I, again, I'll use the word mannered, but like very funny, like comedic exchanges that like the kind of dialogue that wouldn't feel out of place in like a Wes Anderson movie, or I don't know if that's the right comparison but you know just that dry humor you know and understated but like very funny and then there's a character called Gilroy who's sort of and now I'm going to really reach and show my age but I don't know if you've ever seen the movie (laughs) real have you ever seen the movie real genius I don't know if you've ever seen that with Val Kilmer from back in the day
1: forever ago but I can't
0: okay well there's a character named. (laughs) this was for some reason like a huge movie for me as a kid um because it was like nerdy, smart people being cool, and so like I think in junior high, I was like, oh, like maybe there's a way forward for me, you know, and it was uh there was a- there was a character in that movie named Laszlo Hollyfeld who was sort of like this, you know, he had kind of a screw loose, but he was brilliant, you know, this is the real genius all took place at Caltech theoretically, so it was all these like you know brainy like physicist people, and Laszlo Hollyfeld, I think was sort of like he had sort of like PTSD of some sort and lived in the basement or in some sort of boiler room, you know, but he was kind of like the, he was like kind of like a ghostly presence and only certain people saw him. You know, he wasn't somebody who was out and about. You kind of might yeah. catch a glimpse of him and you didn't quite know where he lived and the whole thing. And Gilroy reminded me of that character because he's kind of similar. You know, he's not, really, oh, yeah. he's not part of the, of the group really. He's not like under hearts. Uh, supervision. No,
1: No, not at all. No, no. Yeah. So he's just kind of off in his own. He's like off in his own world, basically like, you know, conducting experiments, like, you know, in air quotes, kind of experiments, you know, that like, you know, he's just basically trying to feel as cold as possible. (laughs) And to, to, you know, so, so yeah. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. So he was actually, you know, in the first, the original draft that I wrote, there was no Gilroy character. And I think that that was like one of the kind of breakthroughs that kind of helped me like figure out the book. It was just like having this, like this different voice come in, having this different kind of energy on the page kind of interrupting the sort of, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, little like mundane, uh, like exchanges between uh, Hart, Gibbs and Klein kind of, you know, really was like kind of unlocked the project a bit for me
0: that's interesting. It doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Actually, I kind of, I was almost going to ask you about that. Like it felt like maybe Gil, I mean, I'm just thinking of this, like from a writerly perspective, not a readerly perspective, but I could see how that would be a useful character to kind of come in and mix things up a little bit because the relationship between Hart and Klein and Gibbs is so like orderly and structured and, uh, you know, top down like that hierarchy or whatever. And you know, you talk about, you know, finding your way through the book and like kind of unlocking it with Gilroy. And I'll go back to using like the term balancing act to describe like what you're up to when it comes to kind of like running a workplace comedy on one hand, but also this kind of speculative sci-fi, you know, semi- ominous thing in the snow, you know, which is exactly what you would think. It's a thing in the snow. And nobody quite knows what it is, (laughs) and it's a little, it's a little little bit spooky. And I'm wondering, like, as you're kind of trying to find your way through this plot, if you know, from a balancing perspective, if, if there were earlier drafts of the book that might have tipped in one direction or the other. Like, did you ever find yourself writing like really dark and get into a more like horror, like blood and guts kind of narrative, or did you ever find yourself conversely going in the direction of like office space and making it more of like just like a a comedy
1: it was definitely i mean earlier drafts and you know including the one we like you know sent to to nate were definitely a lot more of the workplace comedy stuff that there was a lot more kind of to do with like what was going on with hart and klein and in gibbs and and it was sort of you know it was like my editor was like hey i really like this but also like like you know it's it, it's like the, the dream criticism he's like i want it to be like weirder and funnier you know like you, you always like i always you know you you send your stuff away and you're always like you know worried that like somebody's going to come back and be like hey can we just like make this kind of like can we like even this out a little bit make this a little bit more realistic and can, so it's like a can, get a, can get we get can we get a love feeling.
0: story going can we get a love story going between hart <laughs> yeah. and uh what is it is it gibbs is it the girl i can't remember uh, who gibbs, the, the yeah. woman <laughs> yeah
1: yeah gibbs yeah I you know Yeah, he was like, he was like, let's keep it weirder, you know, let's make it weirder, let's focus more on, like, you know, let's have more going on with the thing in the snow, let's like keep, let's like kind of unsettle things a little bit. So that was kind of, you know, so we did some rewrites, but yeah, so like, kind of like, a lot of the creepiness, yeah, like, it was definitely more workplace dynamics early on, with definitely, you know, some weirdness in there, of course, and some mystery about the thing in the snow, but I feel like that was, that was a lot of revisions was making it just you know like kind of like getting like upping the creepy factor just a bit you know enough that it's not enough that i don't think like you're you're reading it thinking you know like oh is this going to end in like you know everyone's dead but uh or you know (laughs) listen listen
0: i had the thought i've got to confess i had the thought like wow this I, i could see hollywood getting its hands on a story like this and some studio executive being like you know what we need the thing to kill everyone <laughs> or whatever, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know yeah. I could easily see them, but I mean, like, who knows, maybe they pay you a bunch of money and they get to go nuts and adapt it and whatever. But, uh, yeah. I'm wondering if, yeah, if
1: any, any executives are listening, right? I'm open to <laughs> any changes. What about, uh,
0: what about like, like your, your intake? Like, are you a horror genre fan? Like, do you read horror fiction on a regular basis?
1: I read a little bit of of horror fiction. I, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm much of a horror head. I can't like I just I mean part of it is like I'm just like easily scared. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't watch the X Files growing up as a kid, and not, not because like I wasn't allowed, but because like I just like. I can't do that stuff. And sometimes I even find, like, I watch horror movies that I'm like, I know this is bad. Like, I know this is bad and I'm still, like, I'm still screwed. Like, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Like, I'm watching this movie and it sucks. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm the same way. (laughs) Like, and I didn't used to be this way, but it's not even horror for me. It's just violence in general. Anything, like, upsetting. Like, if somebody's, you know, even just, like, watching the news, you know, like, it's like, I cannot, like, I cannot be in bed, like, flipping channels and watch like a mass murder or like the footage from Ukraine or something and then just like drift yeah. off to sleep. And actually, no. I think that's actually, uh, that's actually good. Right. I mean, like who are these, who, who are who are these fucking people who watch like the exorcist and like drift off into like pleasant sleep. Uh, uh, I
1: nodded off. Yeah. 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 That's weird. like to put on a a saw film and, you know, (laughs) just like uh, take a little nap.
0: Yeah. I've had conversations (laughs) with friends of mine who can do that. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, it's no problem. It's just a movie. And I'm like, I know, but it's like, (laughs) it's like you have to be pretty numb. I think to just like watch that stuff passively and not have it affect you. And I think maybe, um, having kids I know you, you have a kid right I think it said in your author bio yes. that'll, that'll change yes. I think that'll change your ability to take in like blood and guts at least it did for me like it wasn't oh yeah it wasn't as easy to watch that stuff after you have children and you're like I don't know maybe I just got soft yeah <laughs> uh so okay so you've got the thing in the snow out book number two like the sophomore book uh in print with the same publisher that published the heap right
1: yeah yeah same publisher same editor
0: okay so that's good that's nice that doesn't yeah, always no, doesn't always great. happen that way
1: i should though i want to if it's all right i wouldn't mind giving a shout out to um the harper collins union yeah. uh currently on strike you know still on strike so yeah so my editor and, and a bunch of the people i bunch of the people who worked on this book you know like are all part of the harper collins union so i just want to you know shout them out solidarity the harper collins union yeah, yeah
0: absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, and I should say, you know, like I feel bad kind of like uh, for bagging on publishing, for taking I just feel like <laughs> here's the thing. I don't know anything about it. I've never worked in New York at a publishing house. I know that these people are grossly underpaid. Uh, yes, I think the only the joke that I'm trying to make is like whenever I send a, a group email out, like it is guaranteed that at least 50% of the people on the group email will be like, I'm out, I'm out of the office until like, you know, next week. (laughs) It's just a law. It's like a law in publishing the people, maybe they're working, (laughs) but certainly I, you know, I feel like, I mean, this is not something for you and I to solve in this conversation, but it does. you, you, You look at like the Harper Collins strike and you read all these like essays by people who are trying to make their way in publishing in these entry level jobs, living in New York city. Yeah. And, you know, uh, on wages that are just completely inhuman. And it, what I want to know is that like, you know, publishing for all of its difficulties, you know, for all the difficulties financially for people who are trying to publish things like literary fiction, uh, just trying to sell books in general is tough. It's still like a multi-billion dollar business. Uh, yeah. There's billions of dollars flowing through publishing where is all the money i guess it's with these conglomerates like who's got the money (laughs) you know like there's billions of dollars there's got to be money around to pay people
1: (laughs) yeah no exactly i mean you know like it's like you know it's it's everywhere you know that's like a thing like it's like you know like it's like talking to like a, you know, a musician and they're like, I have, you know, 1.8 billion, you know, streams on Spotify. And like, so it's like really rad because I made like 150 bucks off that, like, you know, yeah. and it's just like, you know, every, the, the money's somewhere. It's somewhere. <laughs> you know, I it's, want to yeah. Maybe that can be yeah. your
0: next book. Where's the money? Like, let's find it. The, the money in the, <laughs> in the uh, Swiss bank account. <laughs> But, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, it seems, uh, unsustainable and it, it's like what the, uh, what's the old saying, like gold floats, you know, like it's always somewhere at the top and it's a big mess. I hope they sort it out. Yeah. So what about your, uh, like a couple of questions related to sort of your, your creative origins as a performer, uh, and also to the cinematic nature of the thing in the snow, uh, I'm wondering like if you have an interest in pursuing anything in television or film, and if you have any like is there any inkling of wanting to still perform like do you do you still find time to do that or do you have any plans to maybe pick that up again?
1: not really, you know every now and then, you know like I'll feel like i you know it'd be it'd be fun to to you know do something you know to like try out for a play or something you know' it's like it'll be like you know like I'll be like driving you know, and I'll be like, oh, you know, that's, I kind of missed that a, a little bit. And then, uh, you know, by the time I get to where I'm going, I've already kind of forgotten. So like, you know, not really, like, I'm not really that interested in in trying to do that again. Not that I, you know, not that I did it very much before, but yeah. And then, I don't know, in, in terms of like working in television or, or film, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I do really like, you know, I do really like, like every time I sit down and I try and think about something kind of like as a like a screenplay or you know like or a a teleplay or whatever I do sort of I feel like I miss like narration and I miss you know kind of like I miss getting into a character's head I miss kind of you know like I miss thinking about certain things that are hard to kind of to kind of convey in a movie maybe you know in a script that's entirely made of dialogue like I think like I don't know I, I saw this, it's one of my favorite movies that I saw forever ago is, is a film called My Winnipeg and it's a Guy Madden film. It's like a really bizarre kind of like history of like a fictional version of Winnipeg that like, uh, you know, where he grew up. And it's just like, I always think about that movie a lot where I'm like, oh man, it'd be cool to make something like that. It'd be cool to write a movie that's basically just like, it's more or less like sort of a bizarre kind of like alternate history novel that's pre- <laughs> that's somehow been turned into a film, but like, I don't know person you know yeah like at the end of the day like i feel like whenever i try i just like don't really like i i, I need to find a way to like trick myself into like thinking it's a novel if i'm going to Okay gonna well maybe you just sell you yeah. write
0: your novels you write your novels and you sell them to somebody else to adapt right <laughs>
1: I mean that'd be great <laughs> Yeah
0: Yeah So are you working on anything new?
1: I am i you know yeah i have a i have a thing that i had started a, a while ago i feel like everything is kind of like the chronology is all off on all my projects, you know, where like, it's just like, it was something I started like kind of like during the summer uh, of the pandemic where I would just write like short chapters of a thing, you know, every day where I was just like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a chapter that's going to be between like 500 and a thousand words long. And so I've kind of been trying to work that into something more cohesive. So uh, yeah, working on that. um, It's a, it's another, another weird goofy one. And then, yeah, yeah. And that's about it right now. Yeah, just pretty much trying to put that all together. So that's you know it's tough. It's always like that thing where it's like uh, I like I, I just recently read a book in which the main character was a writer and like and all of the characters were always telling each other like what their novels were about. And I was just like, oh my god! Like I'm like this is just like like this is like my worst fear, <laughs> like of being like in a situation <laughs> of of like you know just groups of people just like sharing you know like that stuff. So I'm always like I'm always like I don't know. I'm always like like, I'm I'm not always – I'm never sure what to, like, reveal because then it's, like, if something doesn't work, then you want to just pretend it never right. happened, you know? Like, so that, like, I'll keep it vague sure. enough so if somebody listens to this and, like, a book comes out in five years, you know, they're like, oh, he's probably talking about that one. Yeah. <laughs> or, not. <laughs> or not.
0: Or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or it completely yeah. reconstituted itself. But that's okay. I've just, you know, sometimes people <laughs> – Sometimes people are on empty and they're just not working on anything. Other people just roll. Oh, yeah. It's like kind of uh, like chain smoking, you know, one project into the next. And um, I think it's good to keep busy personally. But I, I also think there's yeah. there's some wisdom sometimes in like refilling the tank, you know, because uh, oh, otherwise totally. the work that you're doing isn't going to be, it's not going to be very good. So. I'm glad to hear you're inspired, and I congratulate you on The Thing in the Snow. It's a good one for this time of year. You have to love the publishing schedule for this one. They, they, you know, It's common sense yeah. to publish it in the dead of winter, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you can live it while you read it. You, <laughs> right. know. you, you yeah. can read it at work in your miserable job and uh, feel, <laughs> feel a sense of community.
0: <laughs> but um, great to meet you, man. And congratulations uh, on this book. Best of luck on the new one. And uh, good luck, you know, making your way through the Iowa winter.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks, Brett. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, though. This has been great.
0: All right, everybody, there we have it. That's it. That's Sean Adams. His new book, again, is called The Thing in the Snow. It's a novel available from William Morrow. It is the official January pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. You can track Sean Adams down on Instagram. He's got an Instagram page. I think that's about it as far as he goes online. And uh, one more time, the book is called The Thing in the Snow. Go get your copy right away. Go to your bookstore. Go online. Get the book. Read the book. Don't forget to support the Other People podcast if you like the Other People podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash pod. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Please do that if you have two minutes to spare. Rate it and review it wherever you listen. It helps. If you want to sign up for my email newsletter, you can do that. It's free. Sign up at otherppl.com. Look for the link. You'll see it. Sign up at bradlisty.com. It's the same newsletter in either place. Don't forget, too, that you can watch these conversations now on the Other People YouTube channel. Go search for the show by name, Other PPL. And when you find the Other People channel on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. It's free. You can also watch the highlights if you're a highlight person. Watch the clips on TikTok or on Instagram. Follow the show on Twitter. Add other PPL. All right. And if you want to read my novel, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Trade paperback, ebook, or audiobook. I narrate the audiobook. So if you want to read about me and my life and get into my like auto fiction world, you can do that. The book is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Okay. I think that's it folks. I think we're done here. I think we've we've done what we set out to do. It's over. It's time to let go. Next up on the show, I believe, coming soon, a conversation with Kashana Cauley, author of a novel called The Survivalists, which you may have heard about. A lot of buzz for that one. Fun to meet Kashana, and I'm excited to share that conversation with you soon.